thinking about uh, how we define and how we see words and how what they mean, because that has a huge impact, huge impact on our experience. But I want to start in um, Deuteronomy 15, chapter 15 and verse 10 this morning. It says, you shall surely give to him, him being uh, the poor, is what it's what uh, this is speaking about right now. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. I'll read that one more time. You shall surely give to him the poor, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. Now that is a great promise. That is a great thing. <laughs> Who wants to be blessed in everything that they do? That everything that you put your hand to works out. <laughs> it prospers. That's me. Uh, another verse along the same uh, same message uh, in uh, Proverbs 22, verse 9 says, When you are generous to the poor, you are enriched with blessings in return. Proverbs 22, verse 9, that's out of the Passion. Uh, another verse out of the Passion, Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, Every time you give to the poor, you make a loan to the Lord. Don't worry, you'll be repaid in full for all the good you've done. You're getting a picture that God really cares about our generosity. He cares about how we interact with those around us who are poor. <laughs> and this is where the definition, interest of definition comes in, because you, you think straight off the top of your head, rich means you have a lot of money, and poor means you don't have a lot of money. But in reality, that is an oversimplification of those two terms. To be rich can include having a lot of possessions and uh, physical wealth. But who knows that money doesn't bring you happiness? Who's ever heard of uh, being uh, rich in spirit? <laughs> there's, there's another level of, uh, of riches that is so much more impactful and important and powerful to our experience in life. Our experience of having joy and peace. Money is not the only thing that contributes to someone being rich. We know that. So if that's the case, then being poor is not directly linked to only having not a lot of money. There are a lot of uh, rich people who are poor. Now, Jesus, I love this, Jesus talks about true riches. He talks a lot about money, but he talks about true riches. And uh, I want to read one verse here in Luke 16, 11, Jesus speaking out of the New King James he says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, mammon literally means 
things, physical wealth and possessions. If you have not been faithful with money, with possessions, with earthly wealth, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So what are the true riches? Um, The Passion says it this way in, in that same verse, Luke 16, verse 11. It says, If you have not handled the riches of this world with integrity, why should you be trusted with the eternal treasures of the spiritual world? Now, Jesus is speaking about these things being uh, have us having access to these things on earth. And I like to think of our physical assets, money being level one riches, <laughs> and then next level riches being what God's got in the spiritual realm for us. Because who knows that that, man, that is so much more powerful. And I'm not going to dig into exactly what all and all of the wonderful things that are, uh, are encapsulated in the true riches. But that's, you know, that is hearing a word for someone, hearing God's voice speaking over someone else, being able to bless them with the true riches, which is revealing God's heart to them. It's praying for the sick and seeing God's power move to heal them. It is all sorts of wonderful things that God's got in store for us and he wants to lead us into. But in this passage, he's saying, if you can't be trusted with something that is not super valuable in his eyes, how are you going to be trusted with something that is super valuable in his eyes? Hmm? And that, that idea that, you know, we shouldn't, shouldn't have access, you know, we shouldn't really focus too much on money and it doesn't really matter, that doesn't stack up biblically. It doesn't stack up. Because how are you going to be tested if you don't have anything to be tested with? <laughs> hey? <laughs> How's that going to work? So I love speaking about um, our offering uh, on a Sunday morning because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to be tested. It's an opportunity to prove where our heart is. Because the word says where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Whatever we link as important to us, it's where our heart is. And we get an opportunity to give that and say, God, this is my heart. I want to be trusted with your true riches. I want to be proven faithful with what you've given me. And I'm going to give it. And as we often say, that doesn't just look like giving here in church. <laughs> we give because we're bringing, bringing the, the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse here. But we should be living a lifestyle conscious of where we can meet a need. Yeah? Where we can meet someone else's need that may be monetarily poor but they may be spiritually poor so let's let's take this opportunity this morning let's focus on the giver the provider who gives us all that we need and let's show him our heart hey let's show him our heart let's pray father i thank you so much that you are a good, good Father. Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity to test, 
to test our character, our faithfulness, and our righteousness in order to trust us and and bless us with things that really, really matter. Father, I just ask that you would continue to build and develop us in that. And I thank you for the opportunity to give to your house. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the way we give uh, here is we post it to Jesus in a post box at the back there. Um, if that's you've got physicalness, physical monies. Otherwise, uh, our bank details are on our website, but you should all be all over that. Cool. Well, I would like to hand it over to a, a wonderful human being <laughs> for our word this morning. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> There's no bias there at all. <laughs> Glory to God. <sighs> now, Flick, when you were you were saying about all the things that have happened over the last week, I was, I was actually getting a little bit weary, <laughs> sitting there thinking... <laughs> Oh, yeah, we did do that and, and that and that. And it's good. It's good. Hallelujah. Yeah, Caleb was talking um, about testing. And, you know, in a Christian life, you're going to get tested. It's going to be testing. And we think, yeah, good. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. I want to talk this morning about the process of character development. And the people who are laughing probably know some of the scriptures that I'm, I'm, I'm going to. But, you know, there is really no way of getting around character development if we want to be who God has called us to be in the church, if we want to have the impact that this word says the church is going to have in this world, we need to have our character to be developed to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And some Christians say, well, that's, that can't happen. Well, actually, the word says that it can. So I'll go with the word. (coughs) Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will, not might, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16.33. Now, Paul took up this uh, thought, same thought, and you look at the life of Paul, you look at Paul's life and, and, and the things that he went through in his life in Christ, where God took him, the opposition that came against him. He had lots of... Um, Lots of background in, in, in what he said here. It's in Second Timothy 3.12. He said, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus 
will suffer persecution. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, isn't it it interesting that, that much of what is in the Bible is contrary to our... Our, our, our natural thinking. The things that, that are, are proclaimed, the things that are taught, particularly the things that Jesus taught, was really, if you like, counterintuitive. Okay, so contrary to common sense expectations. So much of what he taught. So if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to read from Matthew Chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. I like to call them beautiful attitudes. And each one of them, it seems to be contrary to our natural thinking, and, and in fact, it is. But I want to have a look at the, um, uh, from verse 10. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, when you are persecuted, when you are falsely accused, when somebody says something against you, whatever, what do you feel like doing? Think about that for a moment. Somebody's come along and they've said something that is, you, you know, accused you of something, said something against your character, and you know it's completely, it's not right. What do you feel like doing? Does anyone feel like you? <laughs> yeah, Phil. If we're honest, come on, let's be honest. We feel like saying something, doing something. Because we've been we've been violated, haven't we? Our sense of self, our, our person, it's just it's not right. It's not right. So Jesus showed us what to do when falsely accused. And if you want to have a look at anybody as an example, well, go to Jesus. So at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, and from verse 11. Now, um, at this point, um, Jesus has been arrested. Um, 
He's been beaten up. He's been taken before the Sanhedrin. He's been taken to Pilate. And here we, here we have him at, uh, in front of Pilate. Verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered, Nothing. <laughs> then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Obviously, there wasn't one thing. Do you not hear how many things they're saying against you? The things that they say you've done. But he answered him, not one word. He answered him, not one word. So that the governor marveled greatly. <laughs> Glory to God. Someone's calling. He did not defend himself or to try to justify his actions. He didn't do it. He did not defend himself. And why did Pilate marvel greatly? If you look at that word, um, he marveled, that word marvel means to admire or to wonder. <laughs> Pilate actually had admiration for the fact that Jesus was able to hear all these accusations and say not one word in his own defence. Now we know that that was the, the, the process that, that, that God had um, designed, that Jesus was to be the sacrifice. But you know, there's, there's, there's more to it than that. Jesus actually gave himself over to the Father. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about being justified. We are justified by faith. We are made just. And God is a God of justice. And he is the one who justifies us. It's his justice that we take on board. Hallelujah. Let's read um, Romans chapter 5. <laughs> so as I said already, Paul had, had lots of experience in the injustice of the world, the injustice of, of, of being wrongly accused of, of, of things and... and Although wanting just to do good and, and bring people into, uh, into freedom, he was persecuted for that. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, uh, previous to this, it's talking about the, the, the promise of faith, <clears throat> or promise granted through faith. But in verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified... By faith, 
We are justified in the sight of God by faith in what he has done. That's it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Without the grace of God, none of us would stand. Not one. It is the grace of God that allows us to live this Christian walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ, being led by the Holy Spirit. It is his grace that allows us to do that. And here comes the steak knives. You see those ads? You know, you get this and this and this. But wait for it. If you're, if you're the first 17 callers, you will also get. Huh? Used to be steak knives, now it's all other things. Verse 3. And not only that, and not, that would be enough. That would be enough. A life in Christ and the glory that he has for us that is so clearly spelled out in Scripture. That would be enough. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? We glory in tribulation. That word glory in means a joyous confidence. We have a joyous confidence in the midst of stuff, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I just want to jump in on that word character in verse 4. Now, in the uh, New King James Bible, that word is, is, is character. In the King James Bible, uh, the word is experience. Experience. You know, you, you, we've all heard that saying, you know, experience is a great teacher. I would say that experience can be a great teacher. Experience in itself is not necessarily a really good teacher. When you see people who have had an experience, and it's an error, made a mistake, they've had that experience, and they keep experiencing the same thing. They keep making the same mistake. Experience, they have not learned from that experience. So it's, it's, that's, that's doesn't, that doesn't quite, quite cut it as far as a, a, a definition. If you look at the, the, um, the Greek word um, that is translated as experience in the King James or character in the New King James, it means test. That word experience means test. Now, it's been a long time since um, we've, we've all been at school, but can you, can you remember back to when you were at school and you heard the word test? 
What was your feeling towards it? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're fibbing. <laughs> Probably not. For a very small percentage of, of, of the population I've found, I've, I've taught, you know, I taught for a lot of years. And, and when there was a test coming up, you might have one or two in the class that were, got really excited about the test coming up. And everybody else would look at them. <laughs> What's wrong with you? We, we don't necessarily like a test because it, 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 you know, it has connotations of this is possibly not going to be the most pleasant experience that I've ever had. So that word char character or experience, it means test. By implication, trustiness. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Trustiness. Experience, proof or trial. God has to know that we are trustworthy. Worthy of his trust. Caleb was talking about that um, in, in so far as um, what he was talking about with the, you know, if, if we cannot be trusted with um, money, who will entrust us with the true riches? How can God entrust us with the true riches? Uh, it's, a, it's that same thinking. That process of character development, that process of going through an experience, going through a test, and coming out the other side, having passed that test, is, is gold. It is such a valuable, valuable thing in our lives. So our rea reaction in the face of being accused, wrongly, or mistreated, is very important to God. It is a test to see where our trust is based and who it is based on. So when we're going through the stuff, God's looking. What will our reaction to that be? Who are we trusting in the midst of something that's not going well or being accused of something or being not well treated? It's so very, very important. God is developing our character in him in those times. You know, Jesus as a man, as a man, had to totally trust the Father to raise him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was all man and he was all God. And as a man, he had to put his trust totally in the power of God to raise him from the dead. <laughs> That's commitment. That's commitment. <laughs> you know, Paul wasn't the only one who uh, spoke along these lines, so I'm going to read out of James. James chapter 1. And... Uh, we probably know this scripture reasonably well. 
James chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Trials test faith, test our faith. It produces patience and leads to mature character. God is coming back for a mature church, a church that has been tested and tried and has overcome. We have an enemy, and the enemy's active. But God's purpose with the church was that he would come back when the enemy is under his feet. We are his hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. In the Passion Translation, that last part of uh, of verse 4, let me find it. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The last part of that verse in the Passion Translation says, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing, nothing lacking. Nothing missing. Who would like to have a life where there is nothing missing, nothing lacking? Nothing missing, nothing lacking. Jesus lived that life. In Jesus' life, there was nothing missing and there was nothing lacking. Hallelujah. You know, there's lots of stories in the Bible and, 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 a, and a, a real go-to about persecution and being wrongly handled, wrongly dealt with, would have to, in the Old Testament, would have to be Joseph. And um, I encourage you to, if you, if you haven't read it recently, jump in at um, Genesis 37 and, and it goes all the way through to the end of the um, book of Genesis. But here's a young man, 17 years old. Now, he made mistakes and we all do. We all do. And he he made some mistakes. Now, God gave him some dreams. He gave him some revelation. And and in the natural, you you could think, well, he got himself into a bit of a pickle by speaking to those who would not receive. Because he took those dreams that God had given him and he went to his brothers and he said, this is what's going to happen. And we won't go into the, into the d- dreams now, but, but basically that, that, um, the interpretation of the dreams, that the brothers got it, that the brothers would be bowing down to their younger brother. And they weren't happy. They were not happy. And they contrived to, uh, to, to get rid of this troublesome person. He, he did actually, um, you know, he, he went, he was his dad's favourite. Okay, so, you know. And uh, he took a, a bad report, the Bible says, to, um, to his dad about, 
a couple of his, um, some of his brothers. So that didn't help either, okay? Tittle-tattled on the brothers. So they decided, righto, we're going to get rid of him. Now, they did thought that we'll, we'll, we'll just kill him. And uh, there was, thankfully, there was um, uh, not everybody agreed with that. So popped him in a pit um, and uh, took his coat off, his coat of many colours that Dad had, had, had given him. And, um, and, and sold him to some traders as they went past. But you, you, you're going to read the story and, and get all the details, so that's, that's good. Now, there's no, there's no um, record of, of anything that Joseph said in this process. So I don't know what he said, but there's actually there's nothing recorded about any objection he, he may well have been objecting. I don't know. It's not recorded. But he was sold into Egypt and, and, a, and a high official, Potiphar, um, bought uh, Joseph as a, as a slave, so a servant in his household. And the Bible says that God was with Joseph and that everything that he did prospered. So whatever he did in, in serving in the household, it went well. And it was recognised. So in that, even in that, you have to see that there is an attitude in Joseph that was not, um, not a, um, um, you know, woe is me type of attitude. I've been wrongly done by. That attitude could not have been there for God to have worked in Joseph the way that he did. Everything that he did prospered. And we know that, that um, he was um, appointed in Potiphar's house to look after everything. I'm just going to put you in charge of everything. Potiphar, and it says that Potiphar didn't know what he had or what he didn't have other than the food that was on his table. Joseph looked after everything. He was trustworthy. There was a trustiness in Joseph. And it was recognised. And we think, you know, it's going well. It's going really well. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not with my family. I'm in, in a strange land, but, but I'm the boss of the house. And it, but it didn't stop there. We know that because um, Potiphar's wife took a, took a bit of a shine to, uh, to uh, Joseph. It says he was handsome in form and appearance. So uh, he was an attractive young man. And she thought, well, I'll have a bit of you. And he would not, he would not go there. He would not allow that to happen. And when he fled, when she grabbed a hold of his garment, uh, at one point, no one else in the house, he fled. Okay, and left, the, left his cloak with, um, with the uh, Potiphar's wife. And she falsely accused Joseph. Exactly the opposite to what had actually happened. He said, this man's come in to, to you know, have his way. And her word was accepted. And Joseph was put in prison. Now, there's nothing that is recorded about what Joseph's reaction was. It doesn't say anything about him defending himself. 
or anything of that nature. Actually, there's nothing said about his reaction. But we can see from what happens that his reaction was not one of defending himself. He was put in prison and in a very short period of time, the jailer recognises that there's something on, <laughs> on Joseph. The presence of God is with Joseph because whatever he was given to do in that prison worked really well. And I don't, that doesn't detail what it is. It doesn't matter. He might have been given some little things to do and he did them in such a way that there was a recognition of something different about this fellow. And in a short period of time, he became like the two I see. He's a prisoner. He can't leave. But he's two I see in the, in, the, in the prison. He's in charge of running the prison, basically. The jailer's the boss, but Joseph is running everything that's happening there because the Lord was with him. And if our attitude is kept right before God and we allow God the, 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 the room to move in all the situations that we find in, 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 in this life, and there are, we know that they come fairly quickly sometimes and then we'll have a bit of a peaceful patch and then something else comes. Now... So he didn't speak when wrongly accused. Now there was a, 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 some prisoners that, that um, came into the jail. There was the baker and the, and the butler that um, Pharaoh had got upset with and sent to, uh, sent to prison. And they both had dreams and they didn't know what they meant. And God gave Joseph the interpretation of those dreams. And to the butler, he said, well, in three days, you're going to be restored. Cupbearer, you're going to be restored in the place that you were previously. And the butler thought, oh, that's really good. I was going to tell you my dream. And the butler told him his dream with the loaves and, and, and whatever. And, he, and Joseph said, it's pretty brave to give an interpretation. That's not, a, not really a positive one. He says, in three days, you're going to lose your head. And after three days, the butler was restored to his position and the baker got hanged. So Now, Joseph said to the butler, remember me. When you are restored, remember me. So what he actually did, he planted a seed when he was given the opportunity. We don't hear anything about him complaining or trying to justify himself, but he planted a seed when he had that opportunity. And we think, oh, good, that'll be a quick turnaround. Two years later. <laughs> Do you think that was a test? Another test. Two, another two years in that prison before Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret. He gets all the you know, wise men and magicians. and Nobody's got a clue. They can't interpret Pharaoh's dream. And the butler says, Oh, I remember. <laughs> I, re I remember 
that there was when I was in prison, when you were angry with me, Pharaoh, I was in prison and there was a man who interpreted my dream and, and he recounted that. You know, sometimes we're given the opportunity to plant a seed in a life. And when we're given the opportunity to plant a seed, take that opportunity. And sometimes we think, oh, look, I've had that opportunity. I've, I've planted a, a seed regarding you know, my faith or what God is doing in my life. And nothing seems to have happened from that. God's word <laughs> will not return to him void. Just leave the seed out there. That's fine. So, Pharaoh gets Joseph in. Pharaoh tells him the dream. They clean him up. They give him a shave, it says. They cut his beard and put some decent clothes on him. So he's before Pharaoh, he hears the, the, the dream and he is able to give the interpretation of the dream. He says, Pharaoh, this is what this is about. There's going to be seven years of plenty and followed by seven years of famine. And if you'll just take a fifth of all the produce in that seven years of, of plenty and put it aside, that will, that will sustain um, the land in those years of famine. So Joseph was delivered and promoted when God gave him words to speak. And actually he was sought after as one who had the answer. <laughs> and I, I, am, I am so looking forward, and I hope you are too, as being ones that people will seek out for an answer. Ones that people will actually come to and say, what do you think is going, what is the reason for, for this? And you know, they will come to you if you keep your heart right through the testing and prove yourself in that time that God can trust you with his word. So what, about, so what about that? You go from the prison to second in charge of all of Egypt, the most powerful country in the, on the planet at that time. The only one greater in the land of Egypt was Pharaoh. Joseph had full control. And because he was one whose heart was for God, everything that he did prospered. And it all worked as Joseph said it was going to. And, and we know that you know, there, were, there were nations around Egypt because the, the famine wasn't um, confined to Egypt in those seven years. It was, it was the whole region. And different ones were coming um, to Egypt to be fed. <laughs> Interesting. And, uh, and Joseph was in charge of the distribution of, um, of food. And they were, they were paying for it. Um, but he was sustaining. And his, his family came to Egypt because of the famine that was in, in, uh, in the land. And Joseph got to, um, got to that, um, that point where he's interacting with his, the ones that have sold him into, into slavery, 
the ones who had persecuted him initially, the very ones who started his 13 years of persecution. He's 30 when he gets to, um, to that position of prominence in Egypt. And Jacob has, they've all come, they're all living in the, in the land and they're, and they're being, you know, living in Goshen. Jacob, his father, has died and the boys, the other boys, they are concerned because they're thinking, well, dad's gone now and now Joseph, with the power that he has, he's just, he's just going to settle accounts. <laughs> he's going to get rid of us. But this is what he said to those very ones in Genesis 50 and verse 20. He says, But as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. (laughs) Didn't justify himself. Didn't try and get back because his life was hidden in God and he just presented himself to God and God worked and moved through him. It's a wonderful picture. It's such a wonderful picture. That is an Old Testament picture. It was before the law, but it's an Old Testament picture. How much more opportunity do we have with, the, with Jesus living in our hearts and the opportunity of being led by the, by the Holy Spirit? How much more opportunity do we have to be positioned in this time to be a source of life in the world? Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know, now Paul was speaking from experience as one who has tested, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I was speaking with somebody um, during the week and uh, it was an interesting conversation and, and I said at the, at the end, but I said, you know, you know, once I use his name, I said, you know that all things work together for good. And he's a Christian person, and he is, oh, yeah. I said, now, that does not mean that all things are good. I'm not saying that all things are good, but all things are work together for good for those who love God, to those who love God. If you love God today, you are positioned for all things to work together for your good, to those who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for each and every believer, each and every one of you sitting in this room today. All of us have a purpose in God that he wants to bring about if we will allow him to do that. I just want to um, finish this morning with um, 
again with, uh, with Paul, a couple of pages over, Romans chapter 12. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. When I hear Romans tw- chapter 12, I, I usually, I'm thinking of verse 1 and 2. I beseech thee therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, you present your body a living sacrifice. You know, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, etc. Yes, 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 yes. But if you keep reading, get to verse 17. This is what Paul has to say. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. That's what we've been talking about this morning. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, (laughs) vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God is just. His justice is perfect. Verse 20, therefore, now we could, we could stop there and, and, and it's, sort of, it's almost like the, go get them, Lord. Wrong attitude. Wrong heart. Because we've got to keep reading. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, <laughs> you will heap coals of fire on his head. What's that mean? You will so touch that person's conscience <laughs> that they're going to have to respond. It diffuses. It diffuses the work of the enemy. When we don't respond in the way that he would like us to. Repay no one evil for evil. Verse 21. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when it's personal, when it's undesired, undeserved and unjust, leave it in the hands of the just one. God will look after your business as you look after his business. Hallelujah. As Paul wrote, Romans 13, just over the page, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Hallelujah. Let's, let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father. Lord, you are the just one. You are the justifier and, the, and there's, there's, no, no, there's no other way around it, Lord. There's, there's, there's no way that we can be right before you but by you, by what you've done. And Lord, we know that the enemy is a big voice and, and, uh, and tries as much as he can to, to disrupt us. But Lord, those things that he brings against us, Lord, as we give them to you, as we position our hearts before you to allow you to work and and build our character, Lord, those things only make us the church that you've designed us to be. 
and he will be under our feet. Hallelujah. So, Lord, help us in the, in the times where this is real. We're going through these things. We're being presented with, with whatever it is that comes from the enemy. Lord, help us to recognise what's happening. Help us to stand firm in you. Help us to shut our mouth where we need to shut our mouth. Give us the opportunity to speak where we need to speak. And in all things, Lord, your church will be what you've designed and purposed for it to be. And Lord, we are members of that. And Lord, we thank you for your work that you're doing. And we give ourselves to you in that. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now we're going to have um, we're going to have communion. So if our little cups. There's some up next to the camera, and there's some over on the uh, on the table. If you don't yet have one, thank you. So if you're a visitor here in our church, we all take part in communion. There's no qualification to do that except if you'd like to. So uh, feel free to get yourself one of these and um, my trusty helper will give me a hand in a moment. We're a pretty good team, Mel. We were up on the rocks and doing all those things. It was great to have all the little people with us um, and... Uh, yeah, we had a great time. Um, do we want the little people in here to have their communion? Oh, here they come. Great. Good job. We don't want them to miss out, do we? All right. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of verses from Colossians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to that. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and we're going to start at verse 18, no 15, I think it is. Um, okay, so when we come together to have communion, of course, we're remembering what Jesus did for us and he was the all in all, he did it all for us and um, as I was preparing I was thinking about that, that, you know, Jesus did give it all. There wasn't anything more that he could give. He gave his whole life for us. And he was fully God, fully man. So for him to give his life, that was no small thing at all. Um, but he did that for each one of us. He did that for you. So whoever you are in this place, he did it just for you. So let's read what it says here it is verse 18 he is the head of his body which is the church and since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection he is the most exalted one holding first place in everything he was the firstborn it says in resurrection so when Jesus died he actually rose again as well didn't he so we remember that he died, but we remember that he rose again. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, 
everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. So I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So by the blood of Jesus being shed on the cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to the way God initially intended before there was sin, right back at creation, okay, as he intended it to be, restored to innocence again. And goes on to say, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. And he released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf, so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. Can we get our heads around that? Because we can get caught up, can't we, and say, oh, I didn't really have a good day yesterday, or I said something, I did something, you know, that are, and we, I think we can be our most our greatest critics can't we we can look at our day and think oh look I could have done better you know Lord help me yes but oh I could have done better but he's saying here that he sees us as holy flawless and restored and he sees us that way because of what Jesus did it's got nothing to do with us so in our soul realm we can hang on to all those things that we think aren't right but in the spiritual realm God has done it all. Jesus did it all for us. Now, I need someone to help me this morning. So I've been keeping an eye on likely candidates in the audience today. Um, So, Corey, do you think you could come out here and be God? Could you be God? Yeah, I think you can. Okay. Now, Mel... Could you be here and just be yourself? Okay. And Caleb, can you be here in the middle? Okay, now you're all of the things that we think are in our way between Mal or each one of us getting to God. Okay, so... Mal, you've got to try and make your way across to God and all of this stuff here is going to get in the way. You got that? Okay. Okay, Mal. You've got to get over here to God. Okay. So that's, that's, what, you want to, that's what you want to do. But... <laughs> thank you thank you so Mel you just stand there for an and so what we're actually demonstrating is that when Jesus died that stuff all that stuff that tries to get in our way is gone so Mel now that it's gone all you need to do is go directly to God. Oh, sorry, let me hold it. Go directly to God. Ah, there we go. Okay, thank you so much, people. You can have a seat. Um, I thought, thank you, Corey. I thought Corey would be up for a hug.
So we had that pretty well covered. Very good. So let me read that again. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless and restored. And it's because of what he did, nothing to do with us. He did it all on the cross. So let's stand as we uh, partake of the communion this morning. And I'll just pray. Lord, we just thank you so much. Lord, we just thank you that there is nothing that stands between us and God. We thank you that Jesus gave his life for each and every one of us. He paid the price and he took anything that would stand between us away. So, Lord, I just pray as we go through this week that we will remember that there is nothing between us. And when the enemy might try to put something there or put something in our minds, Lord, help us remember this verse. There is nothing. And you see us holy and flawless. Thank you, Lord. Let's just partake of the body that was broken for us. And let's just drink of the cup, which represents the blood that Jesus shed for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. May you be seated. Well, that was a nice morning in church. There was lots to get out of all of that, I think. Uh, just our weekly announcements. We have our prayer meeting Wednesday night at 7.30 here at the church. I would love to encourage you to come along. It's always a good night um, and corporate prayer is always such a good thing and so important. Uh, school is back this Wednesday, our school here at Creek Street. <laughs> So if we could all just keep the school in our prayers this week, the parents, the staff, everybody involved, the kids as they come back, that would be much appreciated. Um, our men's night is back after our school holiday break and that's on Thursday this week at 7.30 at Steve's house. Steve's over there. So if you haven't been and you need the address, go and see Steve or it's on our website as well, I believe. We have some upcoming events we are holding a food handling certificate training days. There's two of them, one on the 12th of August from 10 till 2 and one on the 1st of September from 6pm till 10pm. So if you're interested or you want to know more, come and see Mel. She's our trainer. No, she's just organising it. She knows the people. So see Mel. Um, and lastly, just some notices, you can now listen and download our service recordings straight from the church website. So that's exciting, nice and easy, and you can always re-listen to it if you've missed it or pass it on to somebody if you really enjoyed the message. Well, that's all from us this morning. 
Um, our Kingdom Coffee will be open again after the service. So if you haven't had one yet, please go and get one. The coffee's great. Hot chocolates are really good too if you don't drink coffee. <laughs> um, enjoy your afternoon. I hope you have a great day. The sun's still out, which is great. Um, and enjoy your week. We'll see you next week. Yes.